This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Who drive in front? Point! Score! Score! Braden Point again! And the Lightning win it! They win the series! They win game five! Five four in overtime! Wow. Yeah, it's only one game, and obviously it's not going to decide the series, but I think for John Cooper and the players last night, a little disappointed with how they started certainly the game and maybe different stretches of the game in general, and one of the reasons why Boston was able to go up 3 nothing, and then Tampa Bay, of course, battles back, Victor Hedman getting a couple of goals. I don't want to recap the scoring per se for you, obviously, Watch it. I want to get your thoughts, Dave, and I want to get your thoughts on what you saw last night in terms of what may concern you regarding the series and maybe what has you optimistic that, yes, yesterday was a bit of a speed bump, but it's a long series and you still like the talent level coming out of the Tampa Bay Lightning camp and you still feel pretty good about their chances of winning the series. But I think we all understood it was going to be a Tough series for sure. Boston's got a really good power play. They're solid on the face-offs. They have depth scoring. And you know what? That all showed up last night. I think for me, and let me bring in my partner, Dave Michigan. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Steve Ersnick, as always, producing. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. And we certainly will get your questions and concerns on the air. I think for me, Dave, and maybe it was too obvious to really talked so much about heading into this game. But for me, I I was curious how Yaroslav Halak was going to perform under these conditions against an opponent like the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you and Phil talked about this during your portion of the pregame, and I had mentioned it with Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios, that Yaroslav Halak is a veteran goaltender. I don't think anybody disputes his accomplishments and his credentials in the National Hockey League. And I think one of the things that made Boston attractive coming out of the East was the fact that, you know, with Tuka Rask, they had a pretty good one-two punch. So if Rask faltered at all, you were going to run into a situation where if you needed to, Halak could be that guy that would come in and give your team a boost. But it's a different dynamic with Halak as your number one goaltender, and no Tuka Rask backing him up. And I really felt like this was a bigger storyline coming into the series because of, A, maybe the weakened depth that Boston now has at that position, and also, two, you know, Yaroslav Halak hasn't necessarily been the go-to guy for an extended period of time in the playoffs for a while now. And I felt like that was going to be a bigger advantage for the Lightning in Game 1, and really I still feel that way in this series. But to Boston's credit, they really didn't test Halak a ton in the first period. Again, that's a credit to Boston, but I think big picture, I'd like to see the Lightning get more sustained pressure on Halak and make him be more of a difference in this series than we saw in game one. Again, I fully acknowledge that's easier said than done, but I think the Lightning have the skill set and the capabilities, Dave, to make it a little bit more difficult for him in net, and I'd like to start to see that on Tuesday for game two. Halak did not have a rough go of it in the first period, and 
I really don't think he had a rough go of it in the third period either, even though he allowed two goals. And I feel the first goal was one he should have stopped. Yeah. And that's a, a shot that just missed his glove. Now, he more than made up for that with his work in the second period. And I think the Lightning did make Halak have to work for that stretch in the second period. And that was the stretch in the game in which the Lightning were at their most dangerous. They generated enough scoring chances to erase what was at that point a 2 nothing deficit. And Halak really stepped up for the Bruins during that stretch. But if the Lightning are able to do that more consistently, who knows? And that will be a question that will get answered as this series progresses, which is, I think, a fair question to ask. How will Halak deal with being the number one guy? And while he gave his team some incredible saves yesterday, he also let a goal in that probably should have stopped. Now, it didn't cost his team yesterday and even the sixth attacker goal I know it nicked off McAvoy that's still it was kind of in the same spot like kind of on the glove side and uh, I think a lot of times goalies will make that save so which Halak will we see moving forward in the series the one that was making incredible saves in the second period when the Bruins did have some struggles in terms of their team defense, and the Lightning were able to generate some really good scoring chances. Or are we going to see this Halak that has popped up at points in the playoffs where more routine saves do get by him? That game four against Carolina, the Bruins helped out Halak because they were down 2 nothing in the third, and they exploded for four goals in seven minutes, and we spelled this out last week right after that game happened. And the Bruins ended up winning game four, four to three. But Halak was not good in that game. He gave up, certainly the first two goals were stoppable shots. And then Carolina's first shot in the third period came in the final two minutes. And even that one probably was one that Halak stops more often than not. So let's see if the Lightning can can get more pressure on him to force him to play at the level that he did play at in the second period yesterday. So I think that's a fair point, Greg. Uh, to me, though, that is that is secondary and, and maybe farther down the list than really the, the bigger takeaway from yesterday, and that is how disappointing that performance was for the Lightning. And we can, we can get into that. I think the, the players use that word. John Cooper used that word. John Cooper related the first period to their second period against Columbus – and he used the word dismal. Now, I didn't think their first period against the Bruins was as bad as their second period against Columbus in Game 5, where they gave up 24 shots and were completely under siege. But from his standpoint, the team did not play to its standard. Right. And to, to come out in a playoff game and play that poorly for the first 25 minutes and fall behind the best defensive team in the league 2 nothing is not a recipe for success. But I'll even extend it further because I, I kind of felt like the narrative after the game of the Lightning side was the first period plus five minutes into the second, we were not good. And then we kind of pulled our game together. And I agree that the Lightning were better in the last 35 minutes than they had been in the first 25. 
And I mentioned the scoring chances they generated in the second period when they were playing on their toes. The forecheck was more effective. They were getting inside on the Bruins. They had 18 second period shots. All that is is great. But I still don't think they reached the standard after the first 25 minutes when they said their game was better. I still don't think they reached the standard that they need to be at to play this Boston Bruins team. Their structure still was not solid enough. Yeah, I mean, think of the chances the Bruins had after the first 25 minutes. McAvoy in the slot. Vasilevsky makes a phenomenal save on him in the second period. They get a two-on-one where Kasha gets a point-blank chance, and then the late guy is Carlo coming in. Two more saves for Vasilevsky. Marchand scores early in the third on a, on a giveaway. Bergeron makes a great play, but it's still a giveaway by the Lightning. But Marchand had another tic-tac-toe play later in the third period. Yeah. Anders Bjork had a chance in the third period in the slot. So, and then there was a three-on-one. Remember that three-on-one in the third period where Krejci yeah. kind of couldn't settle it down. There wasn't a shot on net there. So what I'm saying is even when the Lightning themselves were saying, we we found our game in, in the second and the third after the beginning part of the second, I agree that they were better, but I still don't think that they were good enough and they were giving up chances. Their structure was not as tight as it needs to be. Their coverage was not as solid as it is going to need to be in this series. And I hearken back to to a point that, that we brought up last week. You remember, Greg, you asked me about the Islanders. And, you know, your question was, the Islanders look so good, you know, that would be a, a tough matchup. And you were asking about the Lightning. And really, mm-hmm. anybody who gets the Islanders is going to be a tough matchup. Right. And my response was, you get into the second round of the playoffs – you're getting a tough matchup, and what it comes down to is how well are you playing? How well are you executing? And I think by any standard yesterday, the Lightning did not did not reach the level they need to be at to have success at this point in the playoffs. And that to it's me is point. that to me is the disappointing part. Yeah, it is a good point, and I think it, it may be maybe a microcosm of that, Dave, to some extent. We had talked so much in the Columbus series about the lack of power play opportunities for the Lightning to the point where I think, I don't think on our show necessarily, but if some people look at Tampa Bay's timeline, they may say, well, that's just Tampa Bay you know, fans whining about the fact that their team's not getting calls and yada, yada, yada. Um, I actually kind of disagree with that. I, I think... I've told you this before, you and, have had, you and I have had shows about this, that I, I mean, I think it's ridiculous for somebody not to go on a power play at all, at any point in a National Hockey League game. But that was a big storyline, I thought, also coming into the Boston game, would be how many times could Tampa Bay go on the power play and, obviously, make some do and be dominant. You know, special teams, John Cooper was asked that question. He actually felt like whoever's better on the PK and better five-on-five typically is going to come out and win the series as opposed to how well you do on the power play. But that being said, there's a lot of talent on both sides where if you have a man advantage, you like your chances of at least converting, you know, one of three or one of four if you get those opportunities in a game. And I felt like 29 seconds in, here we are, the Lightning have an opportunity. Zdeno Chara goes to the box, checks Blake Coleman. We can quibble about the call if you want, whatever. But there is the Lightning's opportunity, Dave, to get going to jump on Boston early, or to at least, as we talk about as well, gain some momentum from a very solid power play. And not only was the power play uneventful, 
I thought it actually may have given Boston a bit more momentum to settle them down and maybe, I don't want to say rattled the lighting, but certainly had them discombobulated a little bit more than you would have anticipated. And I thought, you know, early on that power play ended up being, you know, at least the difference in the first period with how the teams played. Yeah, and those early power plays can be tricky. John Cooper addressed it after the game and said, you know, some guys hadn't even touched the puck. In fact, most players hadn't touched the puck because it was on the opening shift of the game. And, And for the guys who were on that top power play unit that started things off, it was their first time on the ice in that game. But that's not an excuse. I mean, we saw Columbus at the start of game one get an early power play. Maybe it wasn't on the first shift, but remember, they scored on that. And that was that was the the first goal in that series where Dubois had the shot from Texier deflect off him and into the net. So I don't disagree that the Bruins gained some juice from that kill, but that is not the only explanation. It can't be the only reason why the first period plus the five minutes into the second unfolded the way that it did. The Lightning looked out of sync. Their their passes were off. Their coverage was loose. I remember Kasha just splits the D, gets a breakaway in the first period. Yeah. The goal that Charlie Coyle scores, that starts off as a two-on-two rush, and there's nothing happening there. And like Brad Marchand, say what you will about him as you know a pest and a guy who gets under the other team's skin. He is he's a really really good hockey player, mm-hmm. and when he carries it into the zone, he can take it to the net, but he can also pull up and wait for the second wave. And the Lightning didn't handle that second wave well. They got they got crossed up in their coverage. Coil is left open in front, and Marchand, the puck was following the Bruins around in the first period and it was following the Bergeron line around all game. And I mean that as a compliment to them. Like they they would make a play, it would get disrupted, but they'd get the puck right back. And that's what happened there. Hedman comes over to try and disrupt Marshand and Marshand makes a pass and it and it it gets deflected. Yeah. But he gets it again and and switches it to the other side of the ice. And now there's an opening there where Coyle he makes a really Nice tip on it, but he's also open in front of the net. Sorelli's the one guy back for the Lightning. He's got two guys to worry about. Pasternak is standing in front of the net, and Coyle's at the side of the net. So that's a coverage breakdown from the Lightning. And these can happen over the course of a game, but we were seeing that through the first period. Their play with the puck wasn't good enough. Their play without the puck wasn't good enough. Now, when we got into the second period, the Lightning did improve their play with the puck. And they were able to have more possession. I think a lot of the metrics that you see in terms of like high danger chances and how many opportunities would the Lightning normally have that would lead to a goal, like they were doing well in that regard. But I hearken back to what Cooper said in the five overtime game against Columbus do not sacrifice defense for offense. And while the Lightning maybe didn't sacrifice defense for offense, I don't know that they took unnecessary risks to try and score. They still yielded chances coming the other way. And I think that has to be your first building block in this series. You need to have tight structure. 
You need to limit odd man rushes against. You need to limit rebound chances. You need to limit the number of times the Bruins have open guys in front of your net. That's what's going to win you the series. Yeah. Not generating scoring chances on the Bruins, which is important and also hard to do because they're a really good defensive team. But I think what the Lightning did well for the bulk of the Columbus series was make sure they took care of their end well and then let the chips fall where they may in terms of what they can do offensively. And I don't think the Lightning were good enough defensively either in terms of their coverage and for at least a part of the game, their puck management, which allowed the Bruins to play with the puck a lot. But look, it's one game. Sure. I don't think it was a great performance by the Lightning. They still were within a goal with a minute and change left and a chance to tie that game. And maybe that's something they can build on. But, you know, that's just that's just part of it, the team defense. Their special teams need to be better. They cannot lose the special teams battle to the Bruins. They have to find a way to be better on face-offs, which is a part of special teams. There were 12 special teams face-offs in yesterday's game. Both teams had three power play chances, very even. Both teams had six face-offs while they were on the power play. The Bruins went 6-0 and on power play face-offs and they split the six face-offs when the Lightning were on the power play. That is not good enough. And I understand Bergeron is one of the best in the league, but he schooled the Lightning in the face-off circle yesterday, and that is an area the Lightning have to find a way to, to level the playing field somewhat, or else you're going to give that Bruins power play, which is really dangerous, that top unit, possession right off the bat. And... One of those face-off wins ultimately resulted in Pasternak scoring the goal to make it 2-0. One of the ways Tampa Bay can do all those things Dave mentioned comes from a specific line that hasn't played, I don't think, particularly well so far. We'll let you know who that is. And the Ryan McDonough injury, how does that change the dynamic on the back end if he's going to be out for Tuesday? Again, that's speculation. Don't know. But we'll certainly talk about the Lightning and what they did with him out of the lineup for an extended period of time in that game against Boston. And, you know, what do they do if he is out for game two? We'll talk more about that. Take your tweets as well at Bolts Radio. We are recapping game one between Tampa Bay and Boston. Glad you're with us here on a Monday. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli right here on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. You know, you have to give credit where credit's due. We were talking in between the break and discussing about some of the things that, you know, what went wrong in game one. And that's kind of what we do with our big meetings. You know, Dave, we have big meetings before our show and in between <laughs> the breaks. People don't understand the operation involved. But, you know, Steve Erstick has been with us all these years. And, Steve, I, I, hop on here. I, I mean, you, you brought up a good point because we're talking about you know, maybe the slow start and how good Boston looked, but, you know, maybe a, a voice of reason in all of this, Steve, for Lightning fans who are very down today on a Monday. What did you say? Well, this is, there's a lot of parallels so far. Now it's one game of a playoff series, but a lot of parallels to the 2018 series between these two teams. If you remember, the first game was at Emily Arena. Boston won it, uh, it was like 6-2 to two or something like that. Game was a little closer than the actual score. There was an empty netter or two, I believe, at the end, if I recall. And the converse, and the Bergeron line was phenomenal in that game. Uh, I, I don't remember how many points they racked up, but all three of those, Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchand, were all great in that game. 
And the conversation for the two days between the games or, you know, the 48 hours or so was, what can the Lightning do to stop the Bergeron line? And Braden Point's line was negative, whatever, three or four points, whatever it was in that game was their, their rating. And, you know, it felt like, you know, this was the end for the Lightning and that, you know, it just it was a bad start and it was just going to be a bad series. They went out the next game and shut down the Bergeron line basically for the rest of the series. Braden Point's line stepped up tremendously, and the Lightning win the series in five games. Now, I have no idea if that's what will happen this year, but there's a lot of parallels where it took them a game back in 2018 to figure out how we're going to stop that line. It's one of the best lines in hockey and has been for years now. And so hopefully the Lightning are going to take these this day off or you know practice day to day and then tomorrow to figure out how we're going to handle that line differently than we have to control those rushes that they get, those open looks at the net that Marshan had, and and fix it going forward. And you hope that, you know, hopefully it's deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra would say. He would. And it's interesting, too, because Steve brings up a good point, Dave, after that series game one a couple years ago. Remember, the talk was not only how good was that first line, but in many ways, maybe one of the worst games we've seen Braden points play. In fact, his line... What was the stat? Maybe they were overall a minus 13. I think he was a minus 5. And, you know, after that game, he played really well, and the team obviously did some good things. And I think it ties in to what I tease coming into this segment and goes to what you were saying about how, how can Tampa Bay play a bit different? How can they be tougher on pucks? How can they go to the front of the net, do some things that we had talked about to win series and, and to win games against Boston? And that would be, I think, to get the Anthony Sorelli line. I don't know if that's going to be the matchup, Sorelli against Bergeron. Who knows how that's going to play out? We kind of speculated how things would would go about in Game 1 in the pregame. But I feel like his line hasn't really <sighs> flowed as well as we like to see from Sorelli, a guy who, let's face it, one of the best two-way players in the game, even at his age. And then when you factor in the line mates that he has, how talented they can be, specifically with Kalorn and the chemistry they've shown over the years here, that I don't anticipate that continuing to be a theme. But if you want to find a way for the Lightning to get back to being pretty simple and playing with uh, some snarl, and I, I think you brought up this point about Sorelli that was so apt. This was probably earlier this year where he's a guy that's going to drag you into the fight. That's the type of thing they need right now, and I think they can get that from Sorelli's line. And I think it's fair to say we just haven't seen the same impact since play resumed from that line that we saw beforehand and all it takes is one game for that to change but at least to this point um we're still waiting yeah i don't disagree greg now having said that sorelli did score the sixth attacker goal against columbus now that wasn't his quote-unquote line right. that was a he did that was a special situation where they had the goalie pulled and he and Kalorn teamed up on a really important goal in Game 3 of the Columbus series to open the scoring, which was the Lightning's most dominant performance against an opponent to this point in the playoffs. 
And remember in game two, probably the line that came the closest to getting the Lightning tied when they were down 2-1 to Columbus was that line. Remember, Tyler Johnson had two backdoor feeds, one to Sorelli and one to Kalorn that just missed. So, I mean, they've had some looks and they have scored some goals, but I think more is expected of them, frankly, and more can be given from them. Now, we don't know if they are going to have the Bergeron line exclusively as an assignment. I, I kind of thought that there were a bunch of different lines out yeah. against Bergeron's line yesterday, and I do think that it takes a collective group of five. So, you know, we can talk about the forward lines, but Bergeron picked the pocket of Ryan McDonough on the Marshan goal defenseman. So, I mean, the forwards didn't have anything to do with that. In fact, Chernak makes a really good play behind the net to dislodge the puck and win the puck. And the Lightning are thinking they're, they're coming out of the zone. Instead, Bergeron makes that steal. And, you know, it's, it's basically like a tic-tac-toe, two guys in front of the goalie by themselves. So I don't know if Sorelli's line is going to get the same kind of assignment on the Bergeron line that Braden Point's line did in that series two years ago that you and Steve were talking about. And again, when the Lightning are the quote-unquote road team, they won't have the benefit of the last change to get that matchup. But I think from the Lightning's perspective, whether it's Sorelli's line or Gord's line or Point's line, whomever, Paquette's line, if they are out against the Bergeron line, you can't let your guard down for even an instant. Now, they played really well yesterday. The Bruins played well as a team, and when I talked in the earlier segment about how the Lightning did not play to their standard, the Bruins maybe didn't play a perfect game. I'm sure they're going to look back at, at the video and say we gave up too many chances in the second period and we need to be better in front of our goalie. But that was that was really their only hiccup, I thought, in that game in terms of how they played in their structure, how crisp they were in their execution. And they had a really strong performance. And their top line, which is one of the best lines in the NHL, had a really strong game. And usually they play well, but the Lightning have to make them not play well. <laughs> like, it is possible to force the Bergeron line into a less dynamic game. And the Lightning have done that before. You go back to that series two years ago, certainly, and some other games since then. The Lightning have have held that line in check, and you do it by not letting your guard down. You were on them all the time. You were extremely hard on pucks because they are so hard on pucks. So you have to match that and then exceed it. You cannot let your stick get lifted. You cannot lose control of the puck when you have it on your stick. You need to make the safe play to get it away from a dangerous area and make them play in the defensive zone as much as you can. It can be done, but it's very difficult to do, which is why they are one of the best lines in the NHL. But that is going to be certainly, in addition to all the other stuff we talked about, face-offs, special teams, structure, limiting chances against, all that is on the priority list for the Lightning. But finding a way to make the Bergeron line less damaging to you is also going to be a big key in the series. And and that was going to be a key before yesterday. Like anybody who looks at the series would say the lightning have to find a way to limit the Bergeron line. Cause that is 
one of the top keys whenever you see the Boston Bruins. It is. And you're absolutely right to point out all those positives regarding Sorelli. I think sometimes, at least for me watching it, Dave, it's probably more with the eye test. And it, it doesn't feel like they're making as big an impact. And I think that's probably more of a compliment to those guys for how good they've been as a line that typically game in and game out, you can come out of each game and say, you know what, that Sorelli line was good. Maybe yeah. the lightning weren't great. Sorelli was good. And, and I don't I don't disagree with you. I think no. that they have not had as much time in the offensive zone. We haven't seen them win consistently as many puck battles as they normally do. They have not been as hard on pucks, which yeah. goes into that. And uh, I think that your your point is fair and I'm sure they're aware of it and we'll see if they can do more of what we've come to expect from them moving forward in this series. Well, you mentioned, you know, McDonough with the turnover. He gets hurt. I don't know what his situation is going to be, but you saw John Cooper having to deal with uh, being down one defenseman and one who's so valuable in McDonough. And we have talked about how deep the back end is, Dave. And, boy, you know, you, you lose Victor Hedman for, an, you know, a little bit of time, and you, you want to try and make sure you, you can keep your head above water, even though he was ready to go from the start. We've seen at times the Lightning have to play without him. It's a tall order. Ryan McDonough, I think, when everything's going well for him, might be their best defensive defenseman. Uh, certainly a guy who, um, in that Columbus series, I thought was getting better as the series was was progressing. It's a big blow, obviously, if he can't go on Tuesday. But when we do talk about depth, I mean, the Lightning do have some options, and there's veteran depth back there. I had somebody ask me on the last call, um, regarding Jan Rutsa and what his availability would be, Dave. I just I don't know if he's fully healthy or ready to go, but they have guys like Coburn, Shen. They do have a guy like Rutsa who they could go to. And if need be, those guys who have NHL experience, you know, we're going to have to come in and, and play particularly well. But did you notice anything differently with McDonough being out? And how do you see the lines on the back end or the pairings on the back end developing? Do you think this is something that John Cooper, I think, probably sticks with the righty-lefty combination? But at this point, do maybe even try, I don't know, do you do you go 11-7? and seven? You know, that was uh, the suggestion Kali had mentioned on the, on the post-game show. Is this something that they would try moving forward if he can't go? Well, all of those options are on the table. So did I notice a difference when McDonough was not out there? I don't think the Lightning, they were not as dynamic in the third period offensively as they were in the second. And again, I don't mean to diminish the good things they did in the second period by talking about the problems they had in terms of chances against. They did a lot of good things in the offensive zone in the second period. And they were foiled by Halak, who probably made six to seven high-end saves to keep the lighting off the board. I don't think the lightning were quite as dynamic offensively in the third period. And part of that, you had the score effects. Like Marchand scores a minute and change into the third. Now it's three nothing and you you sag a little bit. I think it's it's natural and the Bruins puff their chests out. And the Lightning did not have as much activity really until Hedman scored to make it three to one. And even then it's not like they were coming at the Bruins in waves, although they had more offensive zone time. By that point, when Hedman scored, I think McDonough was already out of the game. 
So because the Lightning were trying to make a push and the Bruins understood they were up 3-1 and they just kind of waited for counter opportunities, which they got, they got a couple as we as we spelled out earlier. I'm not sure that we noticed McDonough's absence as having as much of an effect as it may in a different game where it's 1-1 in the third period, let's say. In this situation, the Lightning were, were trying to press because they were down and the Bruins were were protecting a 3-1 lead and doing it pretty well. The Lightning had only nine third-period shots as opposed to 18 in the second, even though they scored two goals in the third period. But just because it wasn't glaring the absence of McDonough in that third period doesn't mean that it wouldn't be significant if you're without him for any length of time. So hopefully he will not miss any time. But I'm kind of with you based on how the Lightning like to run their D. They like the righty-lefty combos. And the one lefty they have on defense who was not in the lineup yesterday or so far in the playoffs has been Braden Colbert. So they could slot Colbert in to give them a lineup with three righties and three lefties. Now, game one against Columbus when we didn't know if Hedman would play, the extra guy out in warm-ups was Luke Shen, who was a righty. So if Hedman had not been able to go in game one, they would have had four righties and two lefties. But in in retrospect, Greg, it almost seems like, I think the Lightning knew Hedman was going to play, and they just had Shen out there as kind of an insurance guy in warm-ups. But had Hedman legitimately been in jeopardy of not playing, maybe we would have seen Coburn to keep the righty-lefty combo. We're going to have to see how that plays out and if McDonough is able to to play in game two. If he is not and they decide that they want to put Coburn in but they also want a seventh defenseman, they could do that. They have done that before. And then you're putting in one of the other two defensemen, Ruda or Shen, and you're taking out one of your forwards, and they have rotated Stevens and Verhage on that fourth line. Every other forward has played every game who has been healthy. I'm not including Stamkos, of course. And that could give you an option of double-shifting point, double-shifting Kucherov, double-shifting Kalorn, double-shifting Johnson, if you want, on the fourth line. But the thing I will point out, which we haven't talked about because the schedule came out for the series over the weekend – and this is our first show since the schedule came out, there are two back-to-backs in this series, and the first of those is coming up. So if you're going to shorten your forward numbers for Tuesday, you do understand that you have a game coming up the next day, and you don't know how long Tuesday's game might last. As we've seen in these playoffs, it could be 60 minutes, it could be a lot longer. So that may go into the consideration factor as well, where if it were, let's say, game four, where you know you have a day off before game five, maybe maybe it changes the dynamic a little bit in terms of how you're going to construct your lineup. Yeah, But, of course, you would have the extra yeah. defenseman, too, uh, on the front end of a back-to-back. That is interesting. Because, I, 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 well, maybe we can get to that in the next, in the next segment because I, both coaches were asked about the back-to-back scenarios in this series. And you could tell Cassidy especially was very surprised. Cooper kind of, I think, was a little bit more diplomatic about it, but I, I do think that's interesting. I'm not sure that changes much in terms of personnel, 
with the Lightning, uh, you know, especially the goaltending. Uh, I know some people had speculated as Boston, were they more inclined to maybe play if if Rask was playing? Would they have played Halak the next day? I mean, Dave, I I just I don't see your starting goaltender just because you're in a back to back situation. I don't see that being the case at all. I mean, obviously, I think Halak right. is going to be that guy regardless, but. I think just because there's a back-to-back scenario, I'm not sure that changes what you do in net. Do you? Well, with Rask and Halak, they split a lot of back-to-backs, but so did the Lightning, you yeah. know, during a regular season. But that's different. That's a long grind of a regular season. You got travel. You got all of that. Now the Bruins really like their one A one B. I mean, Halak. It's not like he only played 15 games this year. Like he played regularly. And there was one stretch where Rask missed a few games with injury. But I'm I'm agreeing with you. I think if on both fronts, I think if Rask were still there, Rask plays both ends of a back to back. Even though you know you have a guy in Halak that you have confidence in, Rask is still like there's no reason, unless it's performance based or injury, that you would pull Tuka Rask out because it's a back to back. And every team in these playoffs is gonna have back to backs. The lightning Against Columbus, the series didn't go long enough, but they had a back-to-back on their schedule between Game 6 and 7. The Bruins had a back-to-back against Carolina between Games 5 and 6, but both those series ended before we got to the back-to-back. This series has two potential back-to-backs. If it gets as far as a Game 7, Game 6 and 7 will be back-to-back, and then, of course, we're definitely going to have Games 2 and 3 back-to-back. But a lot of the other teams in the playoffs have had back-to-backs, And I'm not certain that any of those teams, even if they have two goalies that they have confidence in, have switched goalies simply because it was a back-to-back. And they're like, well, we don't want to play this this one goalie in both games. And I think it's even – I would be very surprised if Halak does not play both game two and game three, unless something unforeseen happens where he has a really off performance and whatever. During the regular season, Halak appeared in back-to-back games twice, but in both instances, he played the first game and then Rask started the second game. And in one game, Rask was hurt early, so Halak came in. And in the other game, the Bruins got blown out, so they pulled Rask and put Halak in for the third period. But at no other point during the regular season was Halak the starting goalie for both ends of a back-to-back. But this is a different situation. There's no travel. You're in the same place. Both teams are playing the back-to-back, and he's your guy. I mean, are you going to put in Dan Vladar, who's had zero NHL games experience and zero NHL playoff games experience over a guy who is right now your main number one? I would be I would be very surprised if, if we see Vladar in for, for game three. Yeah, and Vladar doesn't have any NHL experience, as you were saying. I mean, was very good at Providence. But, I mean, honestly, what is Bruce Cassidy's options there if you don't have to? Even if Halak gets lit up Tuesday, which, I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, I think he's your guy moving forward. So, you know, we'll kind of see how that all transpires. If you want to react to anything Dave and I had to say in that segment, you can. At Bolts Radio. I want to get into a little bit more of the play from uh, the Lightning on Sunday. Uh, we can take a look at some of the other games going around uh, the National Hockey League. In addition to taking some of your questions, we have a few coming in. We'll get to those when we return. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. 
This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. If you want to react to anything we've had to say in that first segment or first two segments, you can hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. Uh, let's get to some questions here or some comments from our audience. Uh, Dave, we asked people just early on, uh, what disappointed you the most about the loss last night for the Lightning? Or really anything else, if you want to react to uh, what you saw, you can. Dan Harajan from LightningInsider.com said, inconsistent play. He said, Sorelli, Chernak, and Kalorn all seem to be out of sorts. These are important cogs in the Lightning machine. I saw some people who cover the Bruins, Dave, make the observation. I don't know if you necessarily saw this or if you believe this. I, I, I was trying to, to watch it as, it as a couple of reporters mentioned this, that Boston was trying to specifically attack the right defenseman for the Lightning. Did you pick up on that? And what did you make of Dan's comments about Sorelli, Chernak, and Kalorn seem to be out of sorts? We kind of touched on the Sorelli aspect with that line. I didn't notice that okay. the right defenseman. No, <laughs> I mean I think about the chances that the Bruins had. You're talking about attack them off the rush. Yes, yes. I think like, I think know, the I think the chasing. Bruins took the ice that was available yeah. to them, and unfortunately for the Lightning, there was probably too much ice available to them. Like the first goal. Okay, Marshan's a left winger, so he's coming down that side against the right defenseman, and. Was it Bogosian? Hedman was the other defenseman. I can't remember who the right defenseman was. It may have been Chernak, actually. Yeah. Chernak actually did a pretty good job on Marshan. He, he, I mean, Marshan maybe is in, intentionally pulling up there. I'm talking about the coil goal. Because that was a goal. So let's talk about that play. It's a two-on-two. Two. Chernak does not back all the way in. He steps up to engage Marshan. Marshan is very slippery. Marshan is really good with the puck. So Marshand turns away from Chernak to protect it. And I didn't think Chernak did anything wrong on that play. It's more about the second wave coming. And we talked about how the Lightning got out of sorts, but I wouldn't put that on Chernak specifically on that play. And I didn't notice that down the left wing attacking for the Bruins was anything particular in that game when I think about the scoring chances that the Bruins had. But who knows? Maybe there is something to that. I think if they look at Hedman, McDonough, and Sergachev, they're like, okay, that's the left side. You've got Bogosian, who's in his first playoff right. series, and Chernak, who's still a couple of years in the league. And, you know, Shattenkirk is a skilled defenseman, but maybe not as heavy as some of these other guys. I don't know. I mean, I think that they're all, we've talked about this. The Lightning's core of six defensemen as they dressed for the lineup yesterday is as good as as any defense core in the league you've said that and I agree with you I don't think they played well enough yesterday that's what it comes down to but if that's something that the Bruins writers noticed I guess I'll I'll try and keep an eye out for it uh Sorelli and Kalorn we we talked a little bit about in the earlier segment and again, I'm not sure that, that they had their fingerprints all over the, the problems the Lightning had with the Bergeron line. I think it was a collective issue for the five guys who were on the ice. And again, I don't think it was Sorelli's line exclusively going against Bergeron's line. There were different guys out there at different points. But I do think that line would like to spend more time 
in the offensive zone. And let's not forget, Kalorn did score a goal that was waved off because Johnson high-sticked the puck in the second period. And the Lightning felt they had a beef there because Johnson's high stick, which was a high stick, nicked off a Bruins defender before it got to Kalorn, which if that were the case, it would have negated the offside. But that's a bang-bang play, and the official sees the high stick, so he he blows it dead. It happens. It's not a reviewable play. But, you know, if that is allowed to stand, then Kalorn does score. <laughs> and maybe we're talking in in different terms about that line's effectiveness today. But I do think that line would like to spend more time in the offensive zone. I actually disagree with Dan on Chernak. I, I thought he played well yesterday. Remember that Goodrow chance at the side of the net? Yes. Where, where Goodrow put it off the post, and that was one of Halak's better saves in that second period. The only reason that play is available is a play that Chernak makes back in the defensive zone where the Bruins are coming at him off the rush. He gets the puck and immediately pivots back in the other direction, and the Bruins' four-checkers are heading away from Like, they're going in the wrong direction. And he switches perfect pass up the ice to Goodrow, which created an odd man rush situation. So that's just one play, but I thought Chernak gamed it out yesterday. Pasternak's power play goal came after the Lightning failed to clear during a penalty kill, but but during that sequence where they couldn't get it out, Chernak blocked two shots on that penalty kill. And remember, he, he took a puck to the head in the yeah. third period during a Bruins power play. So I respectfully maybe differ with with Dan on on the Chernak call. I mean, I don't know if he saw something and I'm not remembering, but but I thought he actually had a pretty solid game yesterday. This question comes from Lee. He said, who's more responsible for the slow starts, the players or the coach or a little bit of both? This team's biggest problem is between the ears. I mean, that it's easy to sit there and say it's coaching when a team isn't ready to go and maybe in some ways that's where the coach can make the biggest difference is getting your players motivated to start and just to play a full 60-minute game to the best of your abilities. But, Dave, I always come back to as much as you can be prepared for coaching, and I think there are certain coaches who really do make a ton of difference. I think when your team is talented as the Lightning, again, this is my opinion, there's enough leadership and enough playoff experience that it comes down to the players. If they don't start the game well or don't play particularly well in a game, I'm more inclined to go with the players than the coaches. And quite frankly, I think most players probably would agree with that. If there was some kind of magic formula to make teams start well, every every coach would do it. I mean, it's 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 hard to predict. It's hard to quantify. It's hard to explain. Because all teams have stretches in games where they're off. And maybe maybe I'm not phrasing it exactly perfectly because there are some games where, where one team is decisively better than the other. But over the course of a season, let's say, there are going to be games, there are going to be periods, there are going to be stretches within periods where a team is not executing as well as it normally does. Now, you would like to not see that happen in the playoffs. You would like to see a team bring the same high level, shift in, shift out, period in, period out, game in, game out. But I do think that that's somewhat unrealistic. It's going to happen. And it was clear that what happened yesterday, the Bruins were operating 
at a much higher level at the start of that game than the Lightning. We could see that. Why did it happen? That's that's hard to answer uh, because it didn't stay that way. The, the, we didn't see the first period repeat itself exactly in the second and the third, and we spelled that out. I mean, the Lightning did play better after the first 25 minutes, and again, at the risk of repeating myself, not well enough, in my opinion, particularly on the defensive side of things. But they were better than they were at the start. But that's hockey. I mean, sometimes, you know, in a tennis match, one guy is just, or 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 woman, whoever is playing, you know, if you watch Wimbledon, there are some, there are some matches where one player just gets in a zone and is hitting shots that are unreal. We talked about, you know, when Michael Jordan was in the NBA, he would talk about, I get in a zone and I'm just making everything. I mean, that's sports that can happen and it can happen collectively for a team. And I don't know that you can, kind of build a stopgap to prevent that from happening to you. But the teams that have success have fewer dips than the ones that struggle throughout a regular season and certainly do not make it far in the playoffs. So the Lightning had a bad stretch against Columbus in Game 5. They did not play particularly well in Game 1 in this series. But that's not to say that they have been poor throughout this playoff year. Far from it. I think we were clear in, in stating, I mean, I feel the Lightning were the deserving team to, to win that series against Columbus because they played at a high level throughout much of the series. The, the challenge for them, and this is going to be true whether they play the Boston Bruins or Philadelphia Flyers or New York Islanders or any team from the West at this point, you're going to struggle if you play the way the Lightning did yesterday. Now, the fan was saying, well, why? I don't think there is an answer for why. I th- I think if there were an answer for why, teams would do – they do so much preparation that they would find a way to not let it happen. But it does, and it'll happen – it's happened in the past, and it'll happen in the future again. And that's sports. That's my yeah, answer. It that's is. That's sports. And, on, and I, I agree with you on that. And uh, there are things coaches can do. Um, some of it is motivation. Some of it is tactical. And we'll keep an eye on that if we feel like there are some things that maybe they can do, even personnel-wise, to get things going. But it's one game, and as Steve pointed out a couple of years ago, I'm sure people were having the same concerns, and the Lightning certainly turned it around. Was it because the coaches all of a sudden got smarter? No. Uh, the play got a lot better, and Braden Point's line certainly had a lot to do with it. Dave, I've been getting this question a lot. I don't know if we've actually gotten a straight-up answer as to why, but a lot of people are asking, and I guess maybe it's because the power play obviously is struggling in this postseason, why is Victor Henman on the second power play unit? Is this health-related, and this comes from Tom, or is it a straight-up promotion for Mikhail Sergachev? I don't have an answer to that question or for that question, and it's something we've talked about on the air. It's something that we've talked about off the air. I've talked about this with a lot of the other broadcasters, Andrew Chuck and and Chief and Brian Engblom, Rick Peckham. I mean, we've we've yeah. talked about this curious move where Hedman was the guy basically when he was healthy, and he was healthy for much of the year. I think Victor officially only missed four games plus. Like there was the game that actually that game against Boston that everyone talked about right before the pause. Yeah. Hedman got hurt in that game in the first period. They went with five defensemen 
the Lightning did for much of that game, which they won in Boston right before the season paused. I think Hetty only missed, in addition to that one, where he was out for the better part of, of two periods plus, he only missed four games. So in those situations, Sergeyev did move to that other power play unit, the quote-unquote top power play unit. But it's been very consistent in this playoff year that Sergeyev has been on that top unit. Now, I believe, in fact, I more than believe, the power play goal that Kalorn scored against Boston in the round-robin game was a shot that Hedman took. So Hedman was on that unit for the round-robin game against the Bruins. Hedman got hurt early in the Philadelphia round-robin game, so Sergeyev had been moved to that unit in the Philadelphia game. In the Washington game, talking about round robin, the Lightning did not have a power play opportunity, so we didn't get a chance to see the unit. And in the exhibition game against Florida, Hedman was not yet with the team. Remember, he stayed behind in Tampa. So, with the exception of the Washington, I'm sorry, with the exception of the Boston round robin game, Sergachev, when the Lightning had a power play, had been on the top unit, and they decided to keep that into the playoffs. They have not, when I say into the playoffs, I mean the Columbus series. Now, starting with the Columbus series, it's been six games. The Lightning are 0 for 13 on the power play. And frankly, the other unit, the one that Hedman is now on, was Shattenkirk and Maroon and Gord and Tyler Johnson was on that unit yesterday, although Pilat and Johnson have have switch so at one point earlier in the playoffs plot was on that unit I think they've been more consistent at generating scoring chances to be honest with you so the Lightning do need to get better on the power play I mean that's going to be certainly a big key in the series for them to win the special teams battle or at least keep even with the Bruins on the special teams well, front. and let's face it Dave I mean I know John Cooper is pretty adamant don't ask me I'll let you guys know when Steven Stamkos comes back. But did anybody yeah. envision did anybody envision Steven Stamkos not playing at this point? Yeah, and I mean that affects your power play. That's too. a There's huge no part question. of the power play. I mean, yeah. he's got that bomb. There's nobody better except maybe Alex Ovechkin with that one timer. And let's face it, again, kind of like for me, the Tuka Rask discussion about the goaltender. I, I thought, and I still think that's a pretty big deal. And eventually, maybe we'll play out this series. I, I mean, the fact that Steven Stamkos isn't in the lineup. That's a big deal. And I, I, you know, I know there was questions whether he would be ready to go. I, I think all indications were he was rehabbing, things were good. And then all of a sudden we kind of maybe had a little bit of a setback. I don't want to speculate on what it is. I don't, I don't know. But I, the fact that we're sitting here in round two and your captain's not in the lineup and, you know, I don't, I don't know if it sounds like he's going to play this series. That's speculation on my part. That's a pretty big deal, and I think that's something we all need to keep in mind when we talk about possibly the struggles on the power play, probably more so than Victor Hedman not being on the first power play unit. That's just my opinion, and we'll kind of go from there. I want to get your thoughts lastly before we sign off. There was a coaching move made, Todd Reardon out for Washington, and you know, there's something to be said for what Barry Trotz was able to do. It's nothing against Todd Reardon, but it's hard to win a championship, especially coming off the year when your team wins it and you take over. It's really hard to repeat, but uh, the Capitals certainly have an expectation, Dave, of what is expected in the playoffs. And I'm sure what happened this past playoff series um, didn't sit too well with them. 
the optics are not very good for the Capitals under Todd Reardon in that they win the Stanley Cup in 2018. He takes over as head coach, and they haven't won a series since. Does that mean that all of a sudden they've had a huge dip as a team? Not necessarily. I mean, they did win their division last year, and they were leading their division this year when we paused the season, and they got the third seed. They were the third highest seed in the East when we began round-robin play, and they actually were the third seed after round-robin play. You know, you look at that series they had last year against Carolina. They're up 2-0 in the series. Then they're up 3-2 in the series. In Game 7, they're up 2-0, and they end up losing. They easily could have won that series. And if they win that series and have some success moving forward, even if they go out in the first round this year, who knows if that costs Reardon his job. I mean, we, we will never know because they did end up losing that series to Carolina. But if this is the coach, if this is the circumstance, pick your poison. The Capitals did not look like the team that has had so much success in the regular season this year since they got to Toronto. They just didn't. I thought they had two really effective periods against the Islanders in the second and third of game four when they really used their their physical play to get engaged, and Ovechkin was dynamite mm-hmm. in that game four and helped the Capitals rally from 2 nothing down, which is no small feat against the Islanders. <laughs> We've talked about that too. You spot the Islanders a two-goal lead, It can be lights out the way they are defending, and the Capitals rallied to win that game in game four. But that was kind of their outlier game. The other games, and I'm including the round-robin games, they kind of looked like they were treading water. They, They just didn't seem to find a foothold since we resumed play. And maybe that factored in, too, whether that's on the head coach. It's kind of like that question about slow starts or or having a bad first period or whatever that that we talked about from that fan question. I don't know that we can specifically pinpoint why. Yeah. But we we saw it. I'm sure the Capitals management was aware of it and you can't fire the team. No. So you know, maybe they decided that it was time for for a fresh voice cuz they didn't like they couldn't have liked what they saw from the Capitals in the three round robin games and the five games they had against the Islanders in a series where they were pretty decisively outplayed. I mean, let's be honest about it. They 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 were not the better team in that series. The Islanders were deserving of winning that series and deserving of winning it in five games, too. Yep. And and when and when that happens and you were expected to contend for a Stanley Cup, unfortunately, jobs can be lost. It's a great point. Dave, we're gonna do it again tomorrow. And we'll have a special guest for sure from noon to one for Power Lunch. And then, of course, the game. We've got an extended pregame show at 6 o'clock with Kaylee Chelios and Brian Burns. That'll be on News Radio WFLA and Lighting Power Play. And then I'll start with the pregame at 630. And then you and Phil with the game call at 7. Appreciate it, partner. Talk All right. To talk to you tomorrow, Greg. You got it. That is Dave Michigan. Thanks to Steve Verstick. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow for another edition of Power Lunch. And for Game 2, it's the Lightning. Hopefully evening up the series against the Bruins tomorrow on Lightning Power Play.